Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Trimark Happy Hour. Uh, Danny, your video is kind of screwed up. Yeah, I know it is. It's a Friday, and nothing was working the way I wanted it to. This is supposed to be like this, and my cropping is off. It's raining. Google's not in the Google domain thing anymore. Fucking pandemonium. Oh, wait, shh. I was supposed to curse. Well, I don't know. Sean's never yelled at me for cursing, but... But I'm sure now that I said just don't it, say the, just don't say that. You know, don't say fuck or asshole or anything like that. You should be fine. Shh. All right, that's all right. <laughs> I did a little bit of a joke, and the dev just took it way overboard. <laughs> I could have got hard. away with the one, and the dev had to, to double down. Either way, it's so good. <laughs> oh my god, we got an Aussie on the stream. I, I think I think the restrictions should be lifted. Talk about swearing, you don't want to get me started on that side. Mm. <laughs> now, Australia, you are. I read on a bio somewhere, by the way, uh, uh, we'll do the introductions in a second, but for Casey John Ellis, uh, founder, uh, uh, chairman, right? Uh, CTO, you have so yep. many things behind your name of bug crowd. All the, all the hats, yep. Wearing all the hats. Um, I read in your bio, we have Devin Brandon too, by the way, they're also here. Um, yeah, <laughs> Thanks. You guys had a whole show to yourselves last week. You got to run this show. How'd that go, by the way? It was great. I mean, we actually showed up on time. We ended when we was like a little bit after, but you know, everything was organized. It went so smooth. I okay, mean, yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I got to go back and watch it now because I don't believe any of you. Um, <laughs> Casey, yeah, what are your bios? Told me that you were a. Uh, it says uh, expat Australian. Is that are you? Did you like? Rel did you like relinquish your citizenship, or is that just now you're just here? Yeah. No, we uh, we're just here. Like we, we we've been here in in the US um, since 2013. Like started the company off in Australia, and once once it got moving, um, which was pretty quick after after kicking it off, uh, we uh, we relocated to the Bay Area, and that, that was sort of always the plan. And been here ever since. What um, aside from going back and going back and forth with family and different things like that, so I'm still an Australian citizen and still you know go back there pretty frequently. But um, uh, the US is where I call home. What uh? What possessed? <laughs> Sorry, Fordian slip. What possessed? Not hey. What made you want to come here? I was like, what possessed you to come here? Was was it was it for the business or you you just you, you just like the quality of qual, quality of living in the U.S. <laughs> uh, the business. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, look, a, a big a big thing like being in the Bay Area. Just you know, the the whole tech startup thing. Um, you know, in, in the very early stages of, of doing bug crowd, it's like, all right, this thing's either going to catch on fire and fail or it's going to move really quickly. Um, if it does the latter, then we want to be in a place where it can be, you know, resourced as, as effectively and efficiently as, as we can we can get it to be. And that's the Bay Area. It's kind of like being, you know, back at that point in time, it's like being in acting and going to Hollywood. Like there's nothing that special about Hollywood. It's just been doing it for the longest. So if you go there, you've got access to the most kind of stuff, if that makes sense. So that was pretty much the extent of the logic. And and that, you know, that ended up being a really good decision because, um, you know, we, we kind of kicked off this space and it became pretty crowded pretty quickly. So had we stayed in Australia, we would have been competing against folk that were that were resourced by all that stuff in North America. And that would have actually been a lot more difficult for us. What's uh, just for for kicks and giggles because i never assume 
as I don't think any of us should, uh, expertise of people. Some people are new. Some people yeah, might, no might might not know. Uh, how dare you if you don't? Uh, tell us what is what is Bug Crowd? What is a Bug Crowd? What well, is a Bug Crowd? Besides having so many stickers on my my various uh, replaceable laptop lids. Yeah, I joke sometimes that we're a swag company that like doubles in security stuff. Um, because yeah, we've, we've, de we've definitely done a lot of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, different designs and stickers and just stuff over the years to kind of, you know, rally hackers together and connect them in with, with, uh, you know, the broader, the broader market. And that's, that's really what we do. So what, you know, bug crowd didn't invent, um, bug bounty programs or vulnerability disclosure that was prior art. Uh, but we were the first to come out with this idea of basically building out a platform that connects all of the different things that, you know, the, the ethical hacking community know and can do with all of the different problems that might exist on the defender side um yeah pen test um bug bounty vdp as three examples of what that looks like but the broader idea is like all right fundamentally we've got a our job is to kind of outsmart all the bad guys before they do do bad things um if security is a, a fundamentally creative problem then we need access to as much creativity as we can get our hands on um, coming up from the hacker community, I think the other problem that I wanted to solve was to change the operating environment for hackers as well in terms of, you know, we're not actually, we're actually a part of the solution a lot of the time, not just part of the problem. Uh, I think 10 years ago when we, when we started, that wasn't well understood, definitely wasn't reflected in, in the law and, and different things like that. We've seen a lot of change in that area over the past 10 years as well. So that's kind of the ecosystem of what we do, but Bugcrowd specifically is about plugging smart people into hard problems. One of the first talks that I ever went to, and I don't know, maybe talk about it and comment on it if you want. One of the first talk, security talks I ever went to, and I didn't really yeah. know who I was looking at. Ooh, we have a, a new subscriber, and my alert thing didn't come up. <laughs> Why is nothing working? <laughs> um, usually this does front smoother, Casey. Um, is, it was the second. Friday, man. So cool. Oh, my God. So everything's like, oh my god! And now your videos. Wait, why is your video? Never mind. That's my other thing. Um, I am trying to fix the alert thing. Thank you to whoever uh, just uh, subscribed to the channel. We always appreciate you. Um, I think it was Matt. I think was it Matt? I'm sorry, yeah. Vaticus Maximus. As Matt's in chat. Unsubscribe like, and subscribe again. We're gonna figure this out. Yeah, we're gonna figure this out. We yeah. we'd really like you to <laughs> be there. Um, Are we still for bug crowd? I mean, maybe they could have helped us. Uh... Get this taken care of. I don't think bug crowd counts <laughs> bugs in my firmware, like my personal firmware. We could probably do that, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I saw. Uh, anyway, I saw a talk. It was at SummerCon in New York, yeah. and it was yeah. Dino Dizovi and yep. Charlie Miller uh, yep. doing a second no free bugs. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was like, "What's a, what is what does that mean? What is your so?" What do I want to go with this? Because we've ranted about like responsible disclosure and and shit and shit like that. Where are you on that, Casey? Where do I sit on that? I I think I think bugs are like vulnerabilities are valuable, um, and the idea of like no free bugs. You know, I think at the time was really like it was a really important thing to say, partly because of that whole like you know a hack is part of the 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 solution or are they just part of the problem like part of that went to you know vulnerabilities aren't valuable um and and that was i think a part of what what um you know dino and, and charlie were trying to kind of push against and educate around at the time um 
you know, at the same time, I, I actually do think that, um, you know, the internet, like it, it's broken. It's like neighborhood watch. Um, it's, it's a bad neighborhood, uh, in, in, in that sense. And, and the ability for, for people to just let someone know that there's a problem, um, at their own discretion, I think that's a good thing as well. So it's, it's funny. I think, you know, people getting paid for vulnerabilities is, is the right thing, especially if they're digging in and putting work into it and actually really trying to be proactive about it and everyone's got to eat. So I think that, you know, factors into it as well. Um, but I, I don't necessarily um, think that should be to the exclusion of, of you know folks just doing things because they think they should or, or they think they can from from a you know help and safety standpoint. It's a it's a weird like I know that's a futzy answer um, <clears throat> because I actually believe pretty strongly in both things. Do you know what I mean? And, the, right. and they do tend they do kind of pull in the opposite direction. But you know at this point in time, I think you know th back then um, this was a really like people didn't get this idea at all back then in, in, in the general population and today they do. So I think our, our, you know, the environment that we're having the conversation in today is very different to when, when Charlie and, and Dino did that. Um, so I got a question about, yeah, go ahead, Dev. I like to ask. One yeah, thing yep. that really frustrates me is like, okay, I'm working with an application or software or I have an IOT device in my house yep. and I find something and I go on bug, bug, um, bug crowd or whatever, one of the yep. other sites out there, Look them up. Nope, they're not there. So I go through the painstaking of sending the email to the support staff, yep. only to say uh, what you're doing is uh, violates our term and services and all this other bullshit. When mm -hmm. it's like I'm scanning a port for an alarm system that yep. I basically took off Wi-Fi for 15 minutes. Why won't you fix this? So is there a way we could actually shame companies for not joining services like this and I mean, be like, that's, hey? That's that's what you, full you need disclosure. Yeah, that's like I, it's funny. I did a debate. I got called to to do a debate at one point um, in favor of full disclosure, and I think everyone's like, "Oh, Casey's not like Casey's going to freak out at this because a lot of a lot of what you know, um, Bug Crowd does um, really is is more like crowdsourcing than it is disclosure. So it's not not going to the open internet and getting information from point A to point B. That's a big part of what we do, and that's kind of the noisy side of it. But the bigger piece of what we do. Um, Volume-wise is actually more like crowdsourcing. It's like I've got this really hard thing, um, you know, this this like target that's got you know weird code in it. It's weird silicon, weird technology. It's part of a weird ecosystem. Access to talent that can actually understand this thing, let alone exploit. It's pretty scarce. So how do I connect? You know, a big part of what we've built is almost like kind of I, I describe it as Match.com for people that break computers, right? So we're, we're kind of connecting it up like that. Um, but the noisy parts, the disclosure piece. So the assumption was that I'd be against. Full disclosure is a bad thing and i wasn't i actually i kind of won that debate because my point of view is that full disclosure is like like you can hate it all you like it's like hating death and taxes you know what i mean like at the end of the day that's the option of last resort if if as a hacker who's found a thing who is is committed and determined to getting that information into a place where you know the risk that you've identified can be can be fixed when everything else fails, your, your option of last resort is basically just to dump it on the internet and let nature sort it out, right? Um, <clears throat> to me, that's like, that to me is a failure of everything else that should happen before that, right? Um, but that's kind of the, so, you know, when you're saying, can we name and shame um, to get people to do that? I think that's a thing that's been happening pretty much this entire time. Um, <clears throat> you know, what I'd rather do with that, and this is actually a big part of what, we, what we've done with the Disclose.io, project which is you know a separate thing but kind of a very adjacent thing to bug crowd 
um, is to try to like reward organizations, like make it easy to adopt a bond disclosure process, um, make it easy to, to have a policy that doesn't freak the lawyers out, that creates safe harbor for researchers so they don't feel like they're going to get their door kicked in, like all that good stuff. Um, but then also kind of reward the fact that they're trying to do the right thing. Uh, and if you can create kind of a virtuous cycle, then all of a sudden it becomes more of a carrot conversation than a stick conversation. And I think it's important because, I mean, <clears throat> we're all about the stick in this industry, right? And if we come in hot to a, to a company that hasn't really thought this through, like they might be in a really bad state and they should listen to us and they're doing security poorly and they're, they're you know, you can, we can rant all day about how irresponsible they are with that sort of thing. But if you put yourself in their shoes, they've never really thought about this before and we're coming in hot, like, of course, they're going to, that's going to turn into a fight and it's going to be less productive than it could be um, if, if it was collaborative. So aspirationally, that's what I try to kind of, when I think about how to solve this problem at the system level, that's how I think it's, it's best solved. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a whiny answer to your question, but like that problem happens all the freaking time. You know what I mean? Like we've got community.disclose.io, which is basically like Hacker Connect, because what happens generally is that at the end of your efforts to try to find the right person, like there's, you know, myself and, and probably, you know, a couple of dozen other people that are just the folks that know how to get in touch with the right people. Um, and at some point, you know, one of us will get a tap on the shoulder and things tend to happen that way. Um, that's good, but it doesn't scale. Uh, and it doesn't encourage companies to actually get proactive about making, you know, how to get that information to them obvious. So there's a whole bunch of different things. Disclose.io is a good place to go check out, you know, the different kind of tools that are available. And I think the reason that we did that separately and kind of made it like a not-for-profit open source thing is that BugCrowd can help companies like run those programs, but they should be doing it anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like this is a, we're at a yep. point where the internet just, this should just be a part of being on the internet. Um, and to actually restrain that by, you know, forcing them to be a customer of one platform or the other or whatever else, I don't think is actually appropriate so, for solving that problem. With that, yeah, with that, I mean, one thing I would love to see sites start doing, or at least a company do, and I tried to get people to um, to support this idea, and it kind of fell down. It's yeah. like you know how in New York State, I think New York, New York City, and maybe California, you go to restaurants, they have this grade letter, grade letter for restaurants. Like this is an A, that's a B. Yep. I don't know why my video just cut off, you but uh, what, yeah, it disappeared. Yeah. Uh, great, great job, Web. Great job, two hundred dollar camera. Um, <laughs> what are anyway, you doing, Death? They, I'm not doing nothing. I'm talking. My, I'm not even touching my get computer. Into this question, but that's that's like pretty funny. Too. <laughs> I don't know what this happened. Let me, uh, let me just change camera. Maybe like you though, like sound effects. Maybe it worked. Maybe it won't. Whenever yeah. I'm not the one oh, well. screwed up, it's, it's always dev. Like, doesn't it? Yeah. If anyway, not, Danny equals question. dev. Anyway, great, great, great letter. Great letter. Go. Okay. So for websites, they should have that report card where you go and you understand the security health of our site. And you could go, so that way as a consumer, if I want to use X, Y, and Z website, I could go to this third-party site that evaluate them from security. Like, yeah. how are they yeah. use how what information are they storing? How are they storing it? Are they compliance with you know, storing credit card information properly or authentication information properly. Like, you know, that's the basic stuff, you know, so that way yeah. if I'm putting my credit card in there, I don't have to be, have worries that, oh, wait, this is not, this something's going to happen and I'm going to leak my credit card information or this site is a reputable site that's been doing business 
for 15 no, you, years. You're spot on, man. You're spot on. I think I think what gets interesting with creating a scorecard or, or some sort of like rating system like that is that it gets really, it gets complicated to the point where the user doesn't have a fucking clue what you're talking about like really quickly. Um, and I think a lot of the time when security people try to design, like you look at, you know, the vendor risk management systems, you look at some of the work that, you know, Mudge did in DARPA around IoT, like there's been a lot of different efforts to try to create, not like SBOM, but actually kind of this, you know, <clears throat> kind of list of proxy indicators of maturity um, that imply that, uh, you know, one product's more secure than the next, as well as like, frankly, I think a list of proxy indicators of shittiness as well, because <laughs> um, it kind of goes in both directions, right? Um, the tendency is to overcomplicate that, and I think that's kind of slowed down, um, you know, the 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 kind of proliferation of that idea. But I, I completely agree with with that. We actually use that um, that phenomena that you're talking about uh, with the 2020 election to uh, to drive adoption of full disclosure um, at the federal level and at the state level, and then amongst the voting machine manufacturers, because we knew from about 2017 onwards that the integrity of the systems themselves, it was actually more of an information warfare warfare problem um, than a cybersecurity problem. Uh, like it's both, right? But you've got to actually address both. So, so one of the ways of doing that was to is, is to be able to say, hey, like this is neighborhood watch for the internet. Um, this is how we're finding vulnerabilities. There's transparency like automatically associated with that, but also as a consumer, as a voter, right? I can look at that and go, oh, I kind of get that. Like I don't get what the hell they're talking about with XDR or you know, like, you know, what they're doing in their SDLC or all these acronyms or fancy stuff that I don't understand because I'm not a technologist. But the idea of neighborhood watch for the internet is something that for me, I can sort of look at that and, and feel more confident, feel like I've got a greater sense of trust in the fact that things are being done that are positive from a security standpoint. So, you know, I, I do see VDP in particular really slot into that. I think um, bug bounty, you know, if you talk about VDP with a reward, um, and, and you know, turning that into a bug bounty, I see that as kind of an elevated version of that. Um, but the interesting thing with that is that, <clears throat> you know, I don't think every company actually should do a public bug bounty program. I think every company can crowdsource. I do think that every company needs to have the ability to receive security reports from the outside. I don't think that every company necessarily should go out and incentivize security re reports from the outside because maybe they're just not ready for it. Do you know what I mean? So. There's all of these different things that slot into kind of the concept that you just laid out in in my world. Um, and I think just in general, it's 100% true. Like consumers right now, they're, they're worried. Like this is actually a talk that I give a lot. You know, we're at a point now where, you know, pretty much the average non-technical um, person considers cyberspace as an extension of their physical space. Therefore, the way they think about safety in the physical space actually transits across into cyber and they're worried about stuff. They have no idea what's going on, how it works, what they should specifically be concerned about, but they're generally concerned, um, which actually gives us a lot to work with. Do you know what I mean? It's not about like, let's make them more afraid. It's more like, here's how you make smart decisions. Um, yeah, like the green padlock is, is a great example, like SSL. Yeah, to me that the way that whole thing rolled out, you know, initially it's like, cool, like we're best we're, we're awesome because we have this SSL thing that no one understands, but you see the green padlock and you understand that hacking could be a thing. So you gravitate towards places where you see it to the point where like now it's gone away and there's a red padlock where it doesn't exist. I yeah, think that, that's uh, what I was about to say. Yeah.
Yeah. Like when Daniel Chrome and everyone to say, hey, we're just going to get rid of that and just say when it's bad. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And like that took 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, this is a design problem that plays out over a long period of time. And I think from a solution standpoint, yeah, security folk that are thinking about like the system level problems actually need to think about it as that kind of arc and over that kind of time scale because design and, and how users interact with what we do is a, is a really massive um, player in the mix. And oftentimes I think that gets kind of overlooked. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'll give it over to uh, Brandon so he can ask some questions. Yeah, I have one real thing quick on, on before you go past that. So I just came up. I wanted to, to poke fun at the government for a second. So the .gov websites, it's so nice, my, Brandon. My grandpa, my grandpa just sent me a link that says pay.gov. And I and I'm like, that can't be a real website, can it? And I click on it like an idiot. Um, and it is, it's a real site that looks like garbage, but at the very top there's a banner and it says something like, How do you know this is us? Or how do you know this is real? And you click like a little drop down and it explains anything in a .gov domain is, you know, belongs to the government. And then it also showed like the green checkbox. So even yeah. websites, like at least the government knows their websites but, look like garbage, so they, so they. But say, I mean, if a website is telling you that is good, do you really trust that information it's telling you? Well, when you can see it in the URL, like me, yes, like okay, I understand it, but but so I guess to a certain degree, you're right. You have to. Yeah, you, you know, to like it. how to validate. It also means if there's an open redirect on a .gov, like you got a really big problem because that entire. PLD is trusted by the user base in that way. So there's like, there's all, I mean, there's no, you know, this is the thing is that there's no perfect solution um, to, to, to any of this stuff. I, I, I do think sort of boiling it back to like, what are the design fundamentals? Yeah, to me, if you can make insecure easy and if you can make secure obvious, and if you can like aspire towards those two main design goals in anything that you do, um, you're at least heading in the right direction. Um, and actually like achieving that, like arriving at either of those as an end state, I don't actually think that's possible, but to pull in that direction, I think is, is, is a good thing to do. So my last question was, um, there's a couple of times I try to go into the bug crowd kind of bug bounty kind of thing. And yeah. when I go into there, I see these sites and they listen, oh, we want you to look at this fallen error, but do not go blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's like a freaking book of what you cannot do to the point yep. where it's kind of just, it's just so discouraging. Like, how do you work with companies to kind of help them say, I get what you're trying to do, but you need to be kind of more open so that people will actually test this thing. Like, yeah, we, we, we do. Yeah, we do. I mean, it's referential proof over time. Um, <clears throat> I dislike that for the same reasons you do. Um, and, and the reason that it's there is that usually when people are starting to do this, they're, they're not comfortable with it because they're doing it for the first time, right? So you've got, you've got to find ways to, you've got to work with the things that are going to, going to make them more comfortable, even if they're going to be restrictive, um, in a way that's, you know, not ideal, right? Um, get them going with that, get them comfortable with the core concept and then talk about the fact that like, yeah, okay, if you open your aperture up. Um, you're actually going to get better findings. You're going to get a, a more kind of realistic view of your security posture. Uh, and this is, you know, here's examples of other companies that we've worked with that have done that, blah, 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 blah. Like working with federal government in the US, we do a lot of work with, um, you know, um, CISA and, and Department of Defense in, in particular. And as you'd imagine, like DOD are pretty squirrely about um, or were pretty squirrely about who, who operated on their programs at the outset because their whole mindset is around like compartmentalization clearances all these different things they've got this kind of 
cultural yep. instinct to to restrict access just based on their operating model, right? Um, so that's reasonable. It's not ideal because the narrower the aperture, the the less talent you're going to have available to solve the problem that you got. Um, but you can kind of understand why they started there. So we started with that, um, delivered proof against that, and then had the conversation around the fact that opening that aperture is a good thing. And they've steadily done that over time. That's pretty much how it works right across the board. Um, and yeah, with public programs, it's it's an interesting one because I think there is there's definitely you know I mentioned before the difference between you know public VDP and bug bounty and then private crowdsourcing. Like with private crowdsourcing, we could just be focusing on like we've done you know programs where it's like a prototype vehicle uh, in in an ecosystem. So you know the the customer who's doing that work um, who wants that kind of security feedback, that's a very controlled and very confined environment, and straying out of scope is not okay. Um, but because it's, you know, it's confined in that way and that's like clear to the people that get invited to that program, it's <clears throat> different to when it's just kind of out on the open internet. So, yeah, I see. So, I like, of, I like, I have um, one more question. Towards being open. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I thought you have a question, Brian. I don't want to. Really give shorter answers. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, this is your show, Dev. You go ahead. Uh, don't worry, I'll just be over here. So, I, I was told, right, by certain certain people that they use bug bounties in a way to also hide or obfuscate certain traffic when they're trying to find vulnerabilities in the application. You know, at least I was like, okay, like, okay. And some of the bug bounty says, when you're scraping our site, go through the following IPs, put the following oh. post headers in there, do the following stuff so that way they can obfuscate the information while they're really doing a lot of, um, you know, looking around, poking around and seeing what's out there. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so how do you combat that kind of scenarios where people are Same. openly just targeting? So, I mean, the first thing that we we do, like we we do that, we've got it. We've got a system um, where you know we can basically proxy traffic through our infrastructure to create a predictable um, testing source um, that can like pinhole in to do internal testing, all sorts of other things like that. First thing is that we don't set expectations on the customer side that absolutely everything that looks bad from the internet. Um, is not going to come from that box or is going to come from that box because it's like you're on the internet like if it's publicly addressable you don't have control over this to begin with um you know what we can do is is give you better insight around stuff that definitively does come from us because of the access control that we've got on, on on that system and that's a way that you can you know if you see test traffic or, or things that look malicious coming from us um you don't necessarily need to wake up your blue team in the middle of the night because you know, it's it's more likely to be stuff that that, that we've got. When it comes to like <clears throat> tagging headers and different things like that, that's that's a you know that's useful. I think the the way that we the way that we frame that, it's more around as a hunter. If you want to be able to like have the recipient go back through your your attack chain and know who you are, um, that's a way to make that easier for them. So what we're not doing is saying to the customer. Hey, if it's got this header, don't worry about it. It's fine for the exact reason that you just said. Like, if someone else gets that header, like if it's a if it's a secret, yeah, yeah we trust. Like, if we're if we're doing that sort of thing to people that we're giving unique headers to and stuff like that, like we trust them to keep it to themselves. But we also rely on the idea that secrets eventually become public, right? So, like as a security control, it's actually not appropriate for that. Um, so that to me is the first thing, right? And, and I think um, I've seen. Other platforms use similar techniques and not necessarily put that caveat in place, and that's where that's where you end up with with people with the opportunity to actually hide 
what what they're doing so yeah there's there's a bunch of i mean i think that's that's the <clears throat> that's the big thing um i try to like i try to talk to customers in terms of like any fragility it's like now we can we can help you identify what's coming from us where we can but like you got to remember that if it's on the internet then like the internet is going to do internet things right like <laughs> and that will just happen so like that's your starting point and what we're trying to do is help you figure out what you need to fix so you can defend yourself better like that's the goal here not to control you know the, the analogy i use is like walking outside when there's a thunderstorm coming and, and yelling at it and telling it not to hit your house with a tornado it's like it doesn't care it's not listening to you <laughs> do you know what i mean like that's not if if as a if as a as, as an organization you feel like you can do that you're eventually going to fail um because that's actually not how this works so, Brandon, you have anything? Oh, yeah, I got tons of stuff. I wanted Brandon to go. I didn't know if Brandon had stuff. Don't mind me. I'm just going to sit over in the corner. I'm I'm fine. No, if you want to shift gears, Danny, I mean, I've got some a little bit of things, but I'm... I'm oh, cool. we got... Like, we have Casey for a very limited time, and I've, I've bothered him enough as it is. So we have him captured. Philip Wiley just had him on his show. He's elusive, and he's busy. His company is growing. You just got a new CEO, didn't you, back in April? Yeah, yeah, just uh, 12 months ago, yeah. Were you the CEO before then? No, I, 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 I was in that role for about six years and yeah. I went to the board and said, all right, this thing's moving pretty quick and it would be great to get some, um, some more management experience into the mix so I can just kind of focus up on the stuff I'm good at, which is sure. like interfacing the hacker community to, to organizations and like seeing around corners in the market. That's the shit I'm good at. Like I love the management stuff, but it's not... I don't wake up in the morning like thinking about it every day kind of thing. Yeah, I get the, the longer that I'm in and around and working more startups like, you know, Trimark, we're six years old and uh, yeah. it, and our CEO is our founder. And I see like understanding that. Right. Because like a lot of people don't get like, oh, wait, you're the founder. Shouldn't you? They, some people automatically I me myself included when I was new to this. Like, why aren't you CEO if you're the founder? I, 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 I get it all the Constantly, time. And, right? and it's. Uh, yeah, and it's well, it's a funny one because it, there there is definitely so the you know the person the dude that we brought in at that point he was with us for about five years and then it's like cool all right now there's there's an opportunity to step up in terms of how we're interfacing with the market and that's when we uh, we got Dave and and some of the other you know newer folks in the executive team into the mix it, it becomes more that's when my role as as a board member becomes more of the thing because it's it's like you know you can as a founder operate cans in the business as ceo and, and and govern through that lens or you can do it you know as a as a figurehead because you're always the founder it's like you know being the parent of a child right sure. um and then there's the board side of it where it's like okay what's the ideal composition um like what should the team look like to to maximize you know the effectiveness and the the potential of this thing so it's been an interesting journey because it's not the first business i've done but it's the first one that's that's venture backed um and you know, there's a there's a ton of stuff that um, you know, through through trial and error, and and a lot through like talking to mentors and and getting good advice. I've I've kind of learned along the way with this one. There's definitely things I'd I'd you know look at doing differently next time around. Um, but for the better part, I think it's been really cool. And like yeah, the new team's phenomenal. Like the um you know Dave, Dave's um <clears throat> coming in from like a security background. You know the people that he's kind of brought in around him have all been in security specifically around like assurance and, and offense pretty much their entire career. So they're very native to um, to the market. 
and they've got like a, a native understanding of the hacker community as well, which is exactly what I thought was best. Um, so yeah, that's where that's at. But yeah, that's a, that's a whole like you know you want to go off down the like startup management. Oh, I love that stuff. Other tracks. <laughs> no, but I, I also that's fascinating stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I also just usurped. I was about to throw it to Brandon, and I was like, here's yeah. another whole thing. And Brandon, just you just sit there. Go ahead, man. We've we've been doing this long enough, Danny, that I already understand how it works. Retain the retain the question, <laughs> which uh, makes sense. Though I I had my my daughter run in and and says, "Here's the dog. We're leaving." And so it was super loud. So I'm glad I got uh, wasn't in the middle of saying something. Oh, like doggy. Um. So I was gonna ask. We we talked a little bit. I think we focused mostly on the the internet facing bugs and like the bigger companies and the big targets and stuff like that what about the little guys or what about the like dev was talking about like a home security system or um i had a um, an old coworker talk to me about a vulnerability he found in a guitar pedal and how difficult it was to get them to fix that vulnerability so what what's the path for those those companies that and I don't know, maybe it's just that the bug's not worth it to them because, or maybe that it's harder to fix than it is to find. Like there's so many different aspects to that. So I'm just kind of curious what you have to say about some of those. Yeah, no, for sure. I like, I do. I mean, I, I do pretty firmly. Yeah. And this is, keep in mind, I've been watching this stuff fly back and forth for the last 11 years now. So I've like, I've seen some things. Um <clears throat> across you know all of the different kind of customers that bug crowd works with and all of the, all of the different types of folks that we've got in the crowd and different skill sets so it's like you know my my point of view at this point is that like not every bug necessarily needs to be fixed um and that's partly informed by the fact that like we just can't get around to all of it like writing software is hard um and and humans make mistakes and sometimes those mistakes create vulnerabilities and that's just always going to be true like we'll, we'll try to make it you know easier to avoid and, and all those different things. But the fact that that's going to be a part of technology, to me, that's just fait accompli at this point. Um, so, you know, the, the, the bug in the guitar pedal, it's like, okay, what's the threat model for that? Um, you know, is, is there an actual, is there an actual, like, because there might be a real risk associated with it. I, I don't know the bug and I don't know, like, the deployment, you know, environment of that pedal and whatever else. There, there could be, like, really good reasons to fix that bug. But on first glance, it looks like a thing that could probably just stay there and it would be fine. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, that, that's sort exactly. of how I weigh it up. I, I think, I think, you know, making software perfect is a fool's errand. <laughs> I think a lot of the, the time, you know, security folk um, who look at, um, you know, assurance, um, we see things that are broken and that are wrong and we instinctively want to see those things fixed because that's, that's our bias, right? Um, and that's that's great as a starting point, but then you've got to kind of overlay yep. like the realities of of you know threat and risk for the user, and then to your point, the the um, the realities of of you know fixing uh, and the economics of that versus not fixing for the business. So there's like right. multiple there's multiple yeah. players in the mix, and I think oftentimes people on the offensive side only think about you know the the parts that they see. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, to have a good security posture, you have to have both the business understanding as well as security and kind of mesh them. But you have to yeah. prioritize things. You have to understand. I mean, you have to understand the true risk or whatever bugs well, are out there, how it affects your customers, it, how it affects you. Yeah. You know. Also, if you're a small business, like, you know, I hate this. Like, I would love to solve, you know, we've, we've actually um, 
a lot of what Bug Crowd does and a lot of how we've kind of grown the companies through like medium business and enterprise. So we're, we're very much focused at kind of that end of the market, but pretty recently we've actually scaled things down as well so that we can address SMB. Um, and that's mostly because like it's a huge untapped problem um, and, and we've got the ability to actually do that in a scalable and a cost-effective way for us and for them. You know, the problem with that market is they don't, they don't care. Like they're, they're like, they're, like for them risk is payroll next week. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not a vulnerability. Like if you weigh the risk of, of a vulnerability in a guitar pedal versus that you know guitar pedal manufacturer failing to release the next version of their product and then going bankrupt you're like i know what i'd choose in 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 that seat right so like it come it does come back to kind of what i was saying before around how do you make secure easy and insecure obvious and continue to try to drive towards that as a goal because ultimately you know economics does kick in and you gotta you gotta make doing the secure and the right thing more valuable to the organization than just avoiding it and I think a little bit from the from the researcher side of that too, um, like the person I was talking to was was fairly upset that they weren't getting the attention that they deserved. And I don't think yeah. I don't think the it's it's hard to look inward when you're doing that and you're like, I found something awesome, like I, man, I hacked this and it's so exciting. And you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna give it to them. And and then when they're not psyched about it, um, it kind of it it's kind of a humbling experience, I guess. So it, I think it, you have to be used it to is. that. It is. And I, th I think one of the big things that, that sort of I've, I've learned and that I try to, you know, I think Bug Crowd's kind of picked this up. Actually, one of our core principles is respect is key. It's, it's the second ones. First is simple is strong. Second is respect is key. Um, and that, that actually came from this. Because um, what, what we noticed was um, <laughs> at the time, this is like in the first year probably of, of Bug Crowd, um, researchers from a particular part of the world always sounded really angry um, when they were reporting vulnerabilities to, to you know, companies um, in, in the Bay Area and, and in the West just in general. And um, we're like, what's up with this? Like, this is a, you know, is this a, a, a like a, you know, country to country thing? Like, is it like we're literally trying to figure out like what the root cause of it is because it was so consistent. And what we realized was, you know, from a cultural standpoint, there was an expectation that they had to come off like that in order to get the attention of people in the West. So, so they were actually like really kind, really polite, really um, intelligent. Um, but the way that they were communicating on the receiving side sounded like they were being offensive. Uh, and, and, you know, really all you had to do was like give them like a free pass on, on the first go. Say, hey, like dial it back. Like let's, let's get to what you're talking about. And the entire conversation shifts at that point. So what's happened there is that, you know, what we've done is facilitated empathy on the recipient side, but also educated on the on the finder and the submitter side as well. And to me, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like the the talk that I gave, I think the first time at DerbyCon in 2013 or 14, um, you know, welcome to the blue team. It was all about that. This idea that like, you know, engineers and recipients think that um, people in offensive security are, are ignorant because we don't understand like the realities of, of building a thing and running a business. Whereas on our side, we think that they're stupid because they're not listening and they're doing things that are insecure. And like we're both kind of right, but if that if the conversation gets stuck there, then nothing happens. So you got to get beyond that part and, and actually like strive for empathy and strive for respect. If you can get over that hump, then, then all of a sudden it gets productive. Danny, did Jake just screw you up? 
No, I, I said he was allowed to come in. He's been on vacation and we missed him and he's a big fan of Casey. We did? So, yeah. Hello. Um, some of us did. Speaking of respect, here you go. <laughs> anyway, as we were saying, before oh, we were really interrupting. I had the respect to ask Danny before I came in. So, yeah. Hey, uh, Casey, something came up yesterday, and forgive my video. I'm going to unscrew that because Jake also messed that up. Um, we were doing, so, uh, Trimark, we did a webcast yesterday on uh, VMware vSphere. And somebody had asked a question uh, during the uh, the webcast, which kind of got me thinking, like, uh, when a CVE is announced or whatever, will it, can the company as a PR move, classify it differently, like low, like if something came out and said, oh, this, this is low, this is nothing. Like who who classifies bugs as like high, medium, low, things like that? Does that come from the company reporting it? Or like, can it be used as a PR move to be like, this is just low, don't worry about oh, it. Oh yeah, 100%, yeah, yeah. Um, and it happens all the time. Like if you watch, if you watch what gets put through to MITRE, through um through cnas um it's it's not uncommon for something to get initially reported by the vendor um kind of downplayed and then it gets upgraded by other people that are looking at it that's that's a pretty common but, thing um, but for them to do that don't they have to manipulate because the cve is actually a math is like an equation based off of different factors right yeah but there's a lot of i think there's some there's some room to you know do to that wiggle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's definitely it's definitely you know as as kind of like um, strict in its definition as it can be. Um, but there are elements of it that are kind of art masquerading as science. And and whenever you've got that, you've got the ability to kind of downplay. Or you know, on on the flip side, if you get a researcher, they can actually have a tendency to go in the opposite direction and catastrophize something that's not that critical. Um, yeah, like agreeing on criticality and actually baselining that is hard. Um, it's actually one of the reasons that we created the, the the VRT, which is basically just a really, really simple version of, of CVSS. It's like P1 to P5, um, and it's deliberately gray and ambiguous um, because the idea is like if you're just baselining a starting point for a conversation around what the hell should I do about this bug, um, knowing like roughly what ballpark of criticality you're in is more important than getting it perfectly right. Okay. I, I, I thought I was like, ah, I'm, I'll bring it up. But we were like, I was like, ah, that can't be happening. And then I was like, you know what? No, that sounds exactly like what something that they would do. Um, it's, it is, it is most definitely a thing. And, and generally, you know, I think that there is accountability around that in, in terms of the, you know, I think the research community, when they see, um something like that come out they'll this is one of the first things they'll check it's like all right let's let's go you know try to reverse this bug out and or, or if there's a poc just go off and use it and try to understand it and all that kind of stuff and if there's a, a consensus that appears quickly that like no, this is way worse than um people are saying <clears throat> that'll bubble up pretty quickly um and that happens that happens a lot i, I i'm trying to think of a good wasn't there a scandal yeah. like a couple of years ago where a company Release a CVE, and then another another entity tried to short the stock by claiming the CVE was downgraded and was falsified, and it was it led into this rabbit hole of uh, misinformation. I can't name the company because we were doing some stuff for them, but I thought that. Can you please not screw up our business? 
<laughs> it wasn't for it wasn't for this company. Yeah, no, there's there's I can think of other other I'm not tracking that specific one partly partly because we're not talking about the actual company, but um that sort of thing definitely has happened. Um and, and you can reasonably expect it to continue to happen. I think it does come back to this root cause problem of like yeah, this is kind of gray. We're, we're trying to create black and white out of a whole bunch of stuff that's really gray. Like vulnerabilities aren't meant to exist in the first place, right? So creating definition around them, the fact that it's difficult to me is not a huge surprise. Um, it, you know, we're, we're trying to create um, knowledge in, in areas of complete uncertainty that aren't meant to be there in the first place. So like, yeah, of course it's gray. Um, and this, so yeah, it, yeah. And to give the developers a little bit of breathing room, like a lot of times the vulnerability is not actually from the developers, but from the co when they compile the code and the way the code is compiled and the interpretation can lead to vulnerabilities. Yep. So I don't, yep. you know, we don't want to make it seem like, oh, developers are writing these bad code. Well, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're I not. Mean, ultimately it's someone just... developed it. Yeah, it's, it's not. And yeah, you know, going back to what we were just talking about on the empathy side, it's like, all right, yeah, if there's repeated mistakes, like it, yeah, you can see examples of that where there's like the same thing happening over and over and over again. It's like, all right, cool. There's clearly some culpability there. Mm -hmm. um, but like north of that, it's like, all right, you, you were trying to make the damn thing work. And that's hard too. Um, in the process of doing that, you you like created unintended consequences. And, and then we all came in and found those. Um, that to me is the nature of what we're doing here. And the whole idea of like, you're an idiot or not. It's just like keeping that as far away from the conversation as, as we can. I think, you know, as you can hear, that's something that I strive to do because I honestly think it's the nature of the problem. And I also think it's been an inhibitor to, to you know, solving the problem more quickly. And it's also like how, how often is this product used? Like, so the yeah. more popular product is, the yeah. more stuff you're going to find out about it. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly right. More so. eyes, like more, more, more of it out there, more eyes. Generally, more popular products have a faster feature release cycle as well because their customers, there's more competition. Um, so their competitors are coming out with new stuff, so they have to match that, or their you know their consumers are more demanding to see you know fancy new bells and whistles on their stuff. So it's yeah. it, it cap, capitalism kind of makes this hard, um, but it's it's you know why we're all here in the first place as well. So we can't rail against it too much. In, in, yeah, like people uh, in, dog on WordPress all the time, and it's like, well, WordPress is kind of awful. But uh, I mean, at the same time, it's also the number one site um, application people use to build startup yeah, websites. Yes, marketers hate coding. Yeah, that's why it so, works. And and like marketers also hate maintaining WordPress sites, which is why, <laughs> which is why this crap gets popped all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I hate WordPress. That's why I use Wix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a you know that's a classic example of an actual, and it's not not great for. WordPress in this particular example, but you know, in terms of actual an actual systemic security control, like we shouldn't be relying on non-technical people to update um, what is like it's an easy to use on the marketing side, but like if you get underneath the hood, it's a, a pretty complex piece of software. Um, like, should a marketer be expected to be able to keep that secure? I don't. I don't think that's smart. Um, so outsourcing it to someone who can. And 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 that like that to me is where like SaaS is actually a pretty practical like system level security, um, you know, mitigator for that type of thing. That's not that's not true for everything, but in this particular example, I think it is. There was a question really early in the chat that we never. I don't think we got to it. 
uh, Maticus Maximus had asked, why do more companies not offer a safe harbor to report bugs and bones? Now, that's relative, right? Because today, yeah. would you say that there's more than there has been? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this is this is the stuff. So Disclose.io, um, like we really started working hard pushing on this um, probably around 2016 and formed Disclose.io in 2018. Um, and, and the goal was to basically two things. One was to make adoption of, of VDP with Safe Harbor as easy as possible. Because um, prior to that, the challenge is like if you walk into a legal team and say, hey, like you need to write a policy that allows the internet to hack you and tell you what they found. They I can help with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the problem with this, the problem with a nervous lawyer is they get verbose and you end up with like war and peace and no one can understand what the fuck they're trying to do to actually <laughs> make that legally. And it's, it's their job. So I actually don't fault them for that, but it's like, how do you make that easy? Um, but the other side of it was to try to drive adoption um, ground up and then combine that with policy influence, like into, you know, we've done stuff with like um, house rules committee, um, Senate uh, justice committee, DOJ, um, CISA, like all, all these different folks to try to do things top down and actually see the laws change. Um, and that was successful uh, at the beginning of last year, the DOJ released a charging rule change against CFAA that basically said that if you're bringing um, prosecution against someone for violating CFAA, you have to basically illustrate their intent was bad faith, which excludes us basically that was kind of the goal so it's not job done because it hasn't been written like the cfa hasn't been changed yet um but uh yeah all that to say that like yeah there's a lot of there's been a lot of movement on that there was actually a ton of motion around that stuff um through covid um during the pandemic like a lot of people got really busy on the on the policy side actually writing changes in um i think just in general you know the more um the more the voting population understand the fact that hackers are like necessary as a, as a part of, you know, keeping the internet safe, like the whole internet immune system analogy, I actually think that's almost spot on. Um, and we've had the equivalent of a autoimmune problem this entire time. Um, I don't feel like that's gone away yet, um, but I do feel like it's heading in the right direction. Somebody else in chat. See, had Jake, asked, I am your point, Jake. Somebody asked, uh, have you seen CVSS 4.0? Yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't dove into it hard, but I've seen it, and they didn't have a follow up. <laughs> I guess I wanted to ask what you thought of it if if you've seen it. Yeah, it, like like I said, I mean, where um, <laughs> this is one of those ones where it's like if I get if I get time to breathe, I'll like dig off into that stuff and and actually understand it for myself. But I know that the the product and the ASG and ASC teams within Bug Crowd are or, you know, diving all through that and working out how to incorporate it. You know, to me, anytime there's an update to CVSS, um, there's almost always like good ideas in there and things that are directionally important. Um, it really comes down to like, how is a vulnerability management program going to actually ingest that on the receiving side? Because we can, we can dance around about the nature of a vulnerability all we like. Like if it's not actually making an impact where it needs to be like dealt with, then what's the point? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's the thing that has to happen first for us to take it seriously, like where we sit, because we're kind of in the middle of all of that. Jake, that is all about the interpretation, too. So, sorry. I mean, CV, the 4.0 is up to interpretation of how they feel they measure against certain aspects of it. 
Yeah, so, I, the, the, th the, the thing I do like about it is it's at least being a bit more candid about the fact that that's how it works. Do you uh, know what I mean? Okay. It's like, all right. <laughs> Jake, um, since, since you joined late and we do only have Casey for a limited amount of time today, did you join for a particular, you had questions for Casey or you just want to hang out so we look at you? I mean that. I miss looking at you guys. Really, I mean, we miss looking at you. Well, you yeah. could have done that on Twitch. All right. I, I much prefer yeah. using your head to, to see my face in a mirror. You do know you don't have to actually like join the webcast to actually see us. That's what a webcast is. You know, you can no, see. I don't, it, I don't understand that. No, that doesn't. No, that's so, not. Miss us yet? Are you are you done? Are you ready to go back on vacation? <laughs> yeah, this is this is great. Uh, take it two more weeks. Bye. <laughs> so Jake has instituted this thing. I I used to do this, Casey, uh, because we are at the at the, the almost top of the hour, and I know you've got a lot of. Very important things to do in your many, many roles. Um, we do, well, I used to do closing thoughts. Jake calls it wins of the week. You as founder, CTO, figurehead, all of these different hats that you wear. What do you, what do you, like, what's one of the things that maybe this week, past couple of weeks was a big win for you? Could be personal, could be business-wise. Like what's been a, what's been a win for you? And if you haven't had any wins, just be like, nah, I haven't had any, but this is what made me feel no, good this week. Shitty couple of weeks now. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks for asking, Dick. This has been my worst two weeks of my life. <laughs> but no, let me put on a smile and let me laugh for you and do a little dance for you. No, look, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging that out. And what's actually been really cool over the past couple of weeks is watching, you know, you, you talked before about some of the team changes at, at Bugcrowd over the past 12 months. Um, and, and we've grown quite a bit as a business over that time um, with, with, you know, Hacker Summer Camp coming up yes, and, and, and just the, um, you know, kind of the return to, um, you know, in person, just in general, thinking about that as a company, because like Bug Crowd did a lot of IRL community stuff pre-COVID and then the whole thing kind of shut down uh, for a period of time. So watching the crew, um, yeah, particularly on the marketing team, but then the marketing team working with the researcher team, uh, just seeing that kind of collaboration around, like, how are we going to kick ass at this? Like, what are the things that we can learn? What does the community actually want from us at this point in time? What's coming over the hill? Like, the collaboration with Summer Camp is a focal point of that. That's kind of really ramped up internally. Like, we've been working on it for longer than the last couple of weeks, but I've seen it kind of treble and really ramp up over the over the past week or two, and that's just been really fun. Like, I, I get jazzed for, for Vegas in general, you know, to, to see everyone and all that kind of stuff, but then watching the team like the excitement bubbling up in the team as well as, as we head towards it. Like, I, you know, I, I miss that. I think the last time I kind of felt that in this way within the organization was probably 2018 or 2019. Um, so to see that kind of bubbling back up again, it's, it's exciting. It's cool. Yeah. I can't, uh, I, I, I can't wait. And matter of fact, this August for this DEF CON will be Mark my first year here at Trimark and I do a lot of our, marketing yeah. and community engagement and stuff like that and like just being able to like now that i've been here for long like we we've got a lot of really great stuff planned for like vegas and blue team con and and yeah. wild west hacking fest is another big one for us um yep. and then as you know casey before you know it it's time to start planning for q1 and then it just keeps coming faster and faster yep yeah, it just rotates and rotates and rotates. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a great. I mean, it's been a great year on that side. You know, the, the product piece as well. There's been a lot of work. We actually had a, a engineering and, and data team hackathon um, in the SF office uh, the week before last, 
and just watching you know the nerds like these are these are folks that have like some of them come from security but like all of them are like hardcore from an engineering and a data, a data standpoint and you've got hackers coming in there as well and just watching all of that kind of coalesce um around the stuff that we've already been working on but then seeing new ideas pop out of that as well like that's the kind of shit i get really energized by like it's fun to be a part of that with the team it's fun watching them do their thing yeah i'll come in and kind of do my like founder hand wavy thing and point out the north star every now and then but right. for the better part it's just sitting back and watching them watching them do their stuff which I, I really enjoy and i would love to have you back on because i have i am definitely interested in, in the business aspect of it i would love to like hear the story time of from when you first started this thing and the all the way stuff. Yeah, sure. oh my god like i i am <laughs> i'm salivating to to get to those stories um if people want to know more about Bug Crowd, you maybe get some creep shots of you, like we get John Hammond once in a while. Uh, but can, can you imagine people? It's start- interchangeable, by the way. Apparently, like it's a it's a gingers and security thing. Except for uh, the <laughs> the uh, obvious difference in height. <laughs> like it's like it's it's like confusing a rhino for a, for a stegosaurus. You know, like it's like a ginger rhino and a ginger stegosaurus. Yeah, although you guys could you guys would make a very handsome like world wrestling like tag team. I think uh, if we could like, figure that out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, so, so I'm I'm at, I'm at Casey John Ellis on Twitter, same as my my Discord and and whatever else y'all have, y'all have put up here. I'm I'm looking at the Discord, not the Twitch stream, so I can't quite see that right now. But um, yeah, Bug Crowd is at bugcrowd.com. Um, Hackers can sign up and just get going with whatever they want to do or, or whatever's available to them that they want to kind of go off and learn from straight away. Um, we've got, you know, Bug Crowd University, which is a bunch of content modules. Um, we've just added a bunch of stuff to that around machine learning, AI, like API security, some of the offensive security disciplines that are becoming more in demand. Um, and just keeping an eye on that because that's the thing that we always try to do it's like what's coming over the hill is a necessary skill set that will be relevant next right so that's that's something to look at if you're on the hunter side customers can can jump on um you can actually basically buy a pen test online from us now which is pretty cool um but there's all of the other things that we do as well if you want to get in touch on that side and then the Disclose.io project is just disclose.io. Um, so if you want to go check that out and, and say hi uh, on, the, on the Twitters around that one, if you want to uh, adopt Safe Harbor, take part, help out, you know, basically promote best practice in terms of having companies engage and, and receive the feedback of hackers and making, you know, that safer for hackers at the same time. Um, you know, we, uh, we love all the help we can get with that particular project. So feel free to reach out on that one too. Absolutely. And real quick, because we are, God, we're so late today. Brandon, got a win to, got a win for this week. Yeah, got um, a new piece of research, actually, probably two dating back to last week that uh, that I'm working on and excited about. So I've got three of those in the hopper. Um, new blog just posted on uh, Quest I wrote about DC Shadow. And then I've got another one that's going to be coming up. Um, that'll be about misconfigurations in Azure uh, conditional access policies. So, and for all of that, follow uh, Brandon at Tech Brandon on Twitter. Dev. Yeah, so mine's actually just a personal one. Um, I've been for those who know me, I've been married for almost all my life and had kids for almost the whole time. So two weeks, no, three weeks ago, we went on our first vacation without kids, and oh. I have to tell you. That is amazing. If you um, <laughs> if you have cool. kids, leave them somewhere. You know, put Doesn't them in a basement where. like we do. 
yeah, just get rid of them and go on vacation. Oh my God. It's the first vacation I came back from where I felt I don't feel like I need another vacation from it. Like I don't need a vacation from my vacation. I, uh, I say that as I have a browser window up for our family vacation coming up, but I only got one. You got like twenty or something, right? I don't. I got four kids. So uh, enough. If you four. want a kid, I have a website. You could buy one of the kids or rent them, whatever. I don't really care. eBay. Uh, eBay. <laughs> Just don't host yeah. them. Or like, yeah, or have the feds show up to your door. Yeah. Or like, you know how there's some places and you might not, depending where you live. Like if you have like an overgrown yard, you can, you can rent goats, right? Like chew up the yard, do the same for your kids. Just be like, listen, you can either eat or uh, starve. Uh, Jake, are you still here? Yeah, he's here. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Cause yeah. your video my, is just nothing. My, my camera battery died. So the app is freaking out right now. So. God, this video. so this this is going to be up on Spotify as we normally do, but this video <laughs> should show this week. Uh, Jake, what's your which? What do we care? You've been on vacation for two weeks. I don't really care what you're. I mean, so no, I got I got two. I got two. Uh, uh, one is personal. It was just uh, getting my daughter to try new foods and enjoy them while we were on vacation. That was uh, that was great. We tried something called a water apple. It was interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Something that only happened. They just put apples in it. <laughs> it's, it's not apple water. It's water apple. It's a <laughs> different type of apple. It's like a sour apple pear combo. But yeah, really good. Okay. And um, second thing, uh, number number two was um, getting a talk accepted to Deadwood. Me and Jim, the uh, Active Directory Integrated DNS talk. So. Oh yeah. For yeah. Wild West Hacking so, Fest coming up in October, of which Trademark is a sponsor all right we have uh we have way one we have course. our own coming up what? in a couple of months what don't we have our own conference virtual not, conference not not till december and i wasn't even ready to talk about it yet you son of a bitch um what? we'll talk about that later um <laughs> yeah, the dev has no Stuff there's happened. no uh, there's a there's a whole case say that we could talk about it oh it god damn a- it all right anyway uh thank you for everybody for joining uh my winner of the week is having casey on the show I've become a big, big fan of his uh, over just getting to know him on Twitter, and I got to meet him for the first time at, at Shmoo this, this this year. And uh, so that's been my week. And um, bloodcrowd.com for us. If you like our stuff, if we've had some new subscribers, if you like it, go to try, uh, all. Actually, all of our blog and content and stuff is up on Hub dot trimarksecurity.com you need a service guess what we do that too we do active directory azure ad uh vmware vsphere and we do assessments for all of those we also do consulting and we got absolutely the best in the business so trimarksecurity.com slash services we're on linkedin we also have a link tree link that i will put uh somewhere in the show notes of the youtube and uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, thank you very much. Uh, I tend to get my stuff via uh, podcast, so I appreciate when other people appreciate it. And we will be back next week. We had a guest, and they had to cancel. So for all I know, it'll just be another video audio shit show, which is perfectly fine by me. Uh, of course, I am Danny Akotsky, and thank you, everybody who have joined. We will see y'all next week. So, Danny, is it you like podcasts because you can't read? Is that what it is? <laughs> is it because reading is too hard for you? Yeah, it's it's super tough, and um, I'm a little sensitive about it. 
And uh, I hope everybody knows grade, man, from finish. Monster you are. You should go back to third grade and finish, man. I'm just saying. Listen, I am in process how far you've gotten. Just, uh, you know, not the end Really Andrew, down. Well, we're still live, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Oh, good job. That was some Limp Biscuit. Thank you so much. That was fun. Yes, sir. Hold on. Let me. Let me. Let me.